here to be uh, together and to spend time with one another and just to enjoy uh, what God has blessed us with. You know, I, uh, I'm sitting here listening, and, you know, Nicole is just, like, cranking, uh, singing here. And, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, good night. She just got baptized, what, two years ago? Maybe th- three years ago, was it? Two years ago. And now she's up here and just belting away. And uh, what a gift. And I see all, everyone up, you know, uh, singing and participating and, and just literally how it's matured, how it's grown, how it's changed, um, that... Uh, you know, uh, babes in Christ, you might say, are maturing, uh, that now they're serving uh, in, in some really cool ways. And I know for myself, it's like, you know, a part I think my walk with God is how much I want to grow. I want to change. I want to mature. Um, and I think it is a, God willing, a mature view of uh, what God wants to do in us. You know, we could have some fun right now. You know, we can go to all the spouses. You know, maybe we start with those who are married, the wives, and say, would you really like to see your husband mature and be a, a deeper, better husband in the next 10 years? And probably a, a number of wives would probably say, yes, they would like that. That would encourage them. You know, then maybe we step out on the plank a little bit and ask the men, if they would like their wife to do the same thing. And, and maybe not with quite a loud voice, they would feel the same way. You know, perhaps parents would like to see their children grow. You know, one of the things I, I kind of like saying is, like, you know, we have babies, and, you know, we, you know, we certainly want to recognize uh, when we have children that are born into our fellowship, and, and not necessarily, uh, okay, we bless you, you know, and, you know, go in peace and all this kind of stuff. But we want to acknowledge the children uh, that are born in our fellowship, and, and how as a family, uh, we want to love them and help them grow and to mature and, and build relationships. You know, almost in some ways, you know, like a, certainly a village maturing a, 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 a children, but, but literally a child can have four or five fathers or at least uncles. You know, maybe children can have four or five mothers or aunts and, and literally to the point where, you know what, maybe there's situations going on, but you know there's other people that love your children deeply that are more than willing to sit down with them and help them grow. I want that. One other person wants that. Amen. And so, you know, I, I, I kind of enjoy, it's like, you know, when someone comes up to me and, you know, like they're 20 years old and I remember them when they were like, like, you know, like when they were four and I'd sit there and say, yeah, my wife spanked you before. So, um, you know, and that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's building, it's maturing. And, you know, you see a little baby and, you know, how cute it is and how, how beautiful that baby it is. It is beautiful. But, you know, the funny thing about it is if, if you would come back three or four years later and you see the same baby in the same fashion, you wouldn't sit there and say, what a cute baby, even though it didn't change. You'd be thinking, oh, my goodness. What is going on with that child? It hadn't grown. It hadn't matured. It's no different. It's the exact same way it was three or four years ago. That's physically. How much 
spiritually. You know, a month ago, I, was, I had a dilemma. I was asked to do two classes. One was last week, the other one's this coming week. And one was for Hope Worldwide, and it was a heart to serve. And the second one is this Saturday is a, a class on spiritual formation. And the class is titled, Add to Your Faith, Mutual Affection and Love. And I scoured the Bible. I scoured the New and Old Testament. I was looking for, for thoughts and, and, and just teachings. And you know what? I landed on Ruth, the book of Ruth. And I've done two lessons on the book of Ruth and how fascinating, how, how God and how people have worked together to literally mature and grow. You think about Christian spiritual formation, and literally it's the practice of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. Over the course of our lifetime, God will use his word, people, personal experiences, context, literature, spiritual disciplines, and events to transform believers into Christ's likeness. My goal for my life is next year, five years, ten years, that I will be more like Jesus then than I am today. But I don't want to think that it's just going to happen. There is a process. But is this only a New Testament thing? Is this only found in the New Testament, or literally, is it throughout the Scriptures? As I said, we did the two-week series on Ruth. And in that book, we were introduced to three characters, Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, Ruth herself, and Boaz. And what you find here is three individuals, Naomi, enduring repeated heartbreaks, allowed the burdens of life to extinguish her faith but ends up being recognized as blessed and full by the other women of Bethlehem. How many of us right now in this room are enduring repeated heartbreaks and perhaps allowing the burdens of life to extinguish the faith that we have? Then you have Ruth, a Moabite, a foreigner, starting with no faith in God, No faith in the God of Israel, and literally becomes a part of the lineage of Christ. And then you have Boaz, a good, decent man, but not terribly motivated in his faith, but becomes a powerhouse in the nation of Israel. All three of these individuals had their own struggles and challenges to overcome. But what we see is that in each one of them, a transformation has occurred through trials and struggles. So we ask ourselves, how did it happen? What did they do? How long did it take? Well, you know what? Read the book. Hopefully you've read the book. It's only four chapters. Read the book. But one thing that did happen 
that I've talked about every single time is there's this phrase, it's a, it's a, it's a mindset, it's a covenant term, it's called hesed. And what it means, it literally, it, it's the word hesed, it's a, it literally wraps itself up in the positive attributes of God, love, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. Literally, it refers to acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. And you see this hesed in action in all three individuals and then their treatment to each other. Ruth's determination to go with Naomi to a people not her own. Naomi's determination to secure a future for her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Boaz and his determination to be faithful in his responsibilities as a man to both Naomi and Ruth. And you see this determination because, see, they're experiencing hesed with each other. And so this morning, I want to talk about us and our spiritual formation. The New Testament writers, I believe, address it for us today. Peter writes two books, two letters, and what it is is that his second letter, 2 Peter, the whole book, is literally a farewell letter to those he loves. I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. It's been revealed to me that I'm going to die. And I love you. I know your struggles. I know what you've been through and will go through. I understand. But I want you to do it God's way. And you can do it God's way. You've been given everything you need. And so Peter starts his letter, a goodbye letter, to people that he loves. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Just, just sit down for a second and just think for a minute that we have everything we need for life, and godliness. You have everything you need. That tells me, you know what? I don't need a new car right now. I don't need that cable package. You know, I don't need a new suit. Maybe I don't need that vacation. Maybe I don't need to lose 30 pounds. Maybe I... All right, that was a joke. Amen. Maybe I do need to lose 30 pounds. But we have everything. 
We have everything that we need. And we get to partake. We get to be partners with God and his plan. I love partnerships. I love doing things with people. I get to do it. I get to spend time. I get to participate. We get to do it together with God and his plans. And we escape the corruption of this world. You know, and that, that can just like kind of glide over us. That can kind of like, we can just slide through that. Because literally, we're in a bubble. We're in a bubble wrap. And, but you can see it. You can see those bubbles getting popped every once in a while. Because, see, you can get inundated with all the anxiety and the corruption and the, the things that are trying to take hold of your hearts and your minds. And I was going through the, the um, grocery store the other day, and it was two different times, and, and I... And I saw this, and I said, you know, i got to take pictures of this. And I took pictures, and it just grabbed me about all the things that are being, I'm being inundated by. Oh, my gosh, family secrets. It's a shattered world. Oh, my gosh, the secret reunion between Brad and Jen. An explosive face-to-face showdown. And, and that was just six um, magazines that I saw. And then a little bit later, I went to another store, uh, like a week later, and then there was five out of the seven or eight magazines. And you know what? I just had to put them all together and take a picture. (laughs) Because, see, everyone wants to talk about Brad and Jen, why he left, and, you know, her plot to destroy Brad, and she's lying and just inundated with the world. And that's just one thing. And so, you know, basically, I'm going Old Testament. And because in the next 25 days, you know, I got to deal with this election. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm preparing for election day. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and put some blood up there. And God willing, the Passover, you know, the angel of death will pass over. And I can handle the next month. And frankly, I don't really care if you're a Democrat or Republican because you don't have a good person to vote for. <laughs> Bottom line, I don't care. It's like, I'm going to vote, but you know, when it comes, I mean, I don't even want to vote for the Libertarian, the guy that even know where Aleppo is. I'll vote. But I doubt I vote for a president. And it's just like, man, this world, the anxiety, the depression, focusing on the wrong things. And you see in Ruth, the same thing. Naomi left full. Husband, two sons. But see, they leave God and his people. And she loses all three. And she becomes bitter and angry and blames. But see, we have all that we need. And we can escape this if, if we do what's next. Let's keep on reading. Second Peter chapter 1. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. 
and to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's just, again, this is like just pregnant with thought here. And, and, I, and I read this and I go, a rich welcome. A rich welcome. What does that mean? A rich welcome. I get the welcome part, but a rich welcome? I mean, are we talking about like money? Are we talking about accolades? We're talking about like just like this atmosphere of like, you know, you're running down the tunnel at Texas Stadium and 100,000 people are screaming and, and it's just a rich welcome? I don't know. I don't know. But it says a rich welcome. I can only imagine what a rich welcome looks like. But then he says you got to make every effort, every effort to add to. And I, and I think about making every effort. What does that mean, making every effort? I, the one thing that comes to my mind is when I was in chiropractor school, and I remember there was, a, there was a time I had this summer job, and I used to take kids, high school kids and college students, trekking. And, what, you know, we'd go to Canada, uh, we'd canoe, we'd go to the mountains and hike, and we'd do this biking thing. And, and one time we went spelunking, and we went caving. And we went in the, these caves, and, and, you know, they were basically, we got to an area, the ranger that was with us, she goes, you go any, anywhere you want, anywhere you want. There's no way out. There's a lot of things to explore, but you can go anywhere you want. So we're walking around, and, and me and three guys, we see this little bitty hole. And back then, I was a little bit smaller, and I could fit in little bitty holes. And, and I'm like, dude, let's go up there. So we had to kind of walk up against the, 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 the cave, and we had to kind of climb on the rocks, and we were able to get up there in this little hole, and we were scooting in. And literally, it was like this big. We had the little lights in our head. And so... I was first because I was the oldest. I was the leader. And so we're going through this hole and, you know, like army crawling and the guys are behind me and there's nowhere to move. All of a sudden you hear the and all of a sudden you heard four guys. I mean, we're like screaming little girls. It was a good thing I had my depends on. The blasts were going back and forth. And literally, I felt their wings hitting my face. I was just waiting for one of them to stop in front of me and bite me or something, you know. And I had nowhere to go but forward because these guys were behind me. I made every effort to get out of that hole, that tunnel. Make every effort to add to your faith. And see, so, you know, godly character doesn't emerge from passivity or lethargy, a lethargy. Literally, a godly character is molded by fire. Fire. 
But he says, make every effort to add to your faith. Trust in God. Trust in God is the root by which all the other virtues spring. Those who rely on God and his promises live a different way. It's our foundation. It's the root of all we do and are. I trust you, God. And literally, if you can imagine a tree, faith is that root that goes down. And we're to add now to that root. And he gives us five things. Peter gives us five things. And the, they all, these five, the first five pertain to virtues that pertain to one's self and our relationship with God. It's, it's me and God. So these five things are me and God. First, goodness. Goodness. A quality of moral excellence. Goodness. What goes on in your head? Goodness. What are you like at home? Goodness. What comes out of your mouth? Goodness. It's a quality of moral excellence. And, and, and this is a, certainly a challenge, and I don't want to focus on this because really I want to focus on the last two. But the, the challenge is goodness is, is being who we are when everyone else is around us. It's, we're not false. There's a moral excellence in our character, in our heart, that we will be at home or in my mind that I am when I'm with you in person. And you know it because of the words that come to my mouth. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Number two, knowledge. And knowledge is not some intellectual pursuit, but rather what is known. Knowledge is not this, well, I'm going to go get my bachelor's degree and my master's degree and my PhD, and I'm going to know God. No, it's not, that's not knowledge, what, what Peter's talking about here. Literally, it's, it's what do you know about God? And because of what you know about God, you will act in this way. You know, you understand God. Three, self-control. To exercise complete control over one's actions and desires. Self-control. That, that's pretty obvious. Self-control. You know, I had a, our Bible talk. I, I, I shared this a little bit. It was fascinating. I shared this with our Bible talk. And our Bible talk's really, literally a group of extremely talented and, and gifted men and women. And, you know, self-control was almost the majority of all this group's one thing that they feel like they needed to change. But I asked them for two, not just one. <laughs> but self-control, controlling yourself, desires and actions. Four, or four, yeah. Perseverance. The capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. To endure. Perseverance. If you're an athlete, you understand perseverance. If you, if you work hard and you understand perseverance, why is it different in our walk from God? you got to persevere. 
Then lastly, godliness. And this is a hard one in my mind. Godliness, understanding godliness. It's like, it's not godless, there's no God. But what is godliness? Godliness is man's appropriate beliefs and obligations of reverence towards God. Godliness would be, I know God, I understand God, and because of that, there's an appropriate relationship here, and, and I understand my obligations to this God. Obedience, love, sacrifice. It's an element of this is how I'm going to live my life because I'm going to be held accountable. I'll stand before God. And that because of that, I am going to live a certain way. Godliness. And so we have to ask ourselves, before I get into the two areas that I really want to dive into, how you doing? How are you doing in these five things? Ask yourself, these five things, how am I doing in godliness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, or goodness, I'm sorry, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and godliness? How are you doing? And really, no one knows. I can't peer in your head. I gave up mind reading a long time ago. But see, out of the actions, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. You can tell when someone's not persevering. You can tell when someone's not in control. You can tell when someone's not godless or good, or even if they know God, by their actions and by their words. But see, it's the last two, the last two that relate to other people that get me. And it's these last two that I'm doing my lesson on on Saturday, brotherly kindness and love. Brotherly kindness, Philadelphia. Philadelphia means something. It means brotherly love. And it's not this condescending, be warm and well-fed. Brotherly kindness, Philadelphia, literally means it's an affection for your brother and sister in Christ. It's passionate, practical caring for others. It lacks all hypocrisy. It endures. It's hospitable. And it's engaging in times of persecution. And it's this brotherly kindness that appealed to non-believers and strengthened the perseverance of disciples through hardship. Brotherly kindness is how we show our faith in God. Jesus addresses it. When the teacher of the law, the lawyer, comes up to him and asks him, well, what is the greatest commandment in the world? And Jesus tells him, but then he tells him two, the second. And that's to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And see, Jesus understood and tried to teach the Israelites that how can you say you love God, but you don't love your brother? John talks about it in his, his epistles 
1 John chapter 4, he goes, how can you say you love God when you hate your brother? Brotherly kindness is just the New Testament way of saying the Old Testament word hesed. Devotion. Loving kindness. That be go beyond the requirements of duty. Now, I appreciate what Mike shared about contribution. I really do. Because, see, if we're duty-bound, it's not going to last. It's not gonna, it's not, you're not going to make it. i got to do my duty. And, see, it's the same thing with people. So, you know, we might be able to hide the internal stuff, the me and God thing. But, see, it comes out in the brotherly kindness thing. And then Peter ends it all with the last one, agape, love. And love, literally, is the crowning virtue of all the virtues. It's the overriding ethical principle from which all other virtues gain their meaning and validity. The deliberate desire for the highest good for others Love demonstrates itself in sacrificial actions for others. It is the why I do what I do. You know, Saturday morning we had a meeting, and it was was an elders meeting at 8.30. And that weekend was the same day as we had our fall fall, um, garage sale. And our fall garage sale is just an incredible way for us to meet our neighbors. And the meet, our meeting started at 8.30. And it takes about a 15-minute drive to get to the office. And I'm like, I really want to go out and I want to meet people for our garage sale. But it didn't get light until about 7.45. And so I have 45 minutes, and you know what, frankly, I really don't have time. But see, when you're motivated by love, <sighs> ah, I'm going to go out. So I got out, and I walked around for half an hour, met some neighbors, and talked to people. And, and was I obligated? No. Was Patty going to ask me if I talked to anybody? No. <laughs> well, why do you do it? Man, I want to love my neighbors. Why do I do what I do? Why, why? Why do you do what you do? If it's not love, it's not going to stick. It's not going to make it. It's not going to last. Love has got to be the primary motivation. You know, if there's one thing that I wished the Dallas church would do well, as much as I love hope and I want to support Hope, and I appreciate what we shared about Hope, and actually what we'll do, that's House Church Sunday. We're going to collect it in house churches that day, and then we'll bring it into the office. It's the men's retreat, the weekend. Hope is great, and I want to do well in Hope. Would I love to study the Bible with a 1,000 people? Would I love to be able to go and gut a 1,000 houses in Baton Rouge? Would I love the church to to have a really good building and a gym? And would I really like us to have an incredible this or incredible that? Sure. 
But at the end of the day, wouldn't, don't we want a church that loves well? That every member, to the best of their ability, knows how to love well. It might not be as good as this person, or maybe they can improve in that area, or this one has this strength, and this one has their strength, but you know what? They love. They love. And because of that, they show their love to, to the, their brothers and sisters. Because of that, they grow in their godliness and their goodness. Because of that, they grow in their knowledge and understanding. Because of that, they grow in their perseverance. Because of that, their faith digs deeper into the ground. You know, Paul talks about the same thing. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together everything in perfect harmony. You know, Saturday, I'm going to do this class on spiritual formation, and it's an ongoing process of developing right relationships of love with God, with ourselves, and with others. Spiritual formation is not accomplished in a vacuum. A life that's wrapped in bubble wrap, it's difficult. It's difficult to model Reverence towards God and continual obedience when your life is under siege from people or circumstances. Yet with God and others, and the personal resolve to pursue such a course, we are transformed and will live a life continually reflecting brotherly kindness and love. Paul also finishes up his book to the Galatians. A messed up church. Church that had a lot of issues. And look how he comes to part of his conclusion. Chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith that expresses itself in love. So how, so here's my thought. Everything we do must be based on love. When you hug somebody, when you spend time with somebody, when you sacrifice to get together with somebody, when maybe that person's not like you, 
or maybe that person doesn't appreciate you, or maybe this or that or whatever. We do it because we love. The book of Ruth, we met Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. And you know that, in my opinion, you see this, you see this transformation, and literally, it's really fascinating. You go back into the book of Ruth, and you'll see all of these characteristics, these virtues of spiritual formation in the book of Ruth. But the one thing that I believe, and in my opinion, that all three learned to do was to love. Hesed. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, they all learned how to love. And so for me, as a 55-year-old man, I need to learn how to love deeper. I thought I learned it five years ago. I thought I learned it when she said yes. I thought it was over when my boys moved out of the house. I thought it, I learned it when I went into ministry. I thought I learned it after I did this lesson. Now, there's more of my character. There's more of me that needs to become more like Jesus. And unless I'm willing to persevere and to control myself, to, to guard my heart, to have an understanding, the knowledge, and the, and the, the godliness and the goodness, unless I'm adding to my faith, I'm not going to love. I'm not going to love my brothers and my sisters. I'm not going to love and mature in my walk with God. You know, I'm grateful. A month ago, God put it on my heart to do the book of Ruth. And because I think it really deals with both. Having a heart to serve and literally to add to your faith mutual affection and love. I pray that as we now take communion, that we'll evaluate our hearts and how we can show the love that Christ has loved us, how we can add to our faith these virtues that Peter challenges us with as he did to those men and women that he loved deeply. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, our God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful for this opportunity to be together. God, we pray that you will mold our hearts and teach us. Father, that we'll understand how much you love us, how much your son loved us, and how much he wants us to be like him. God, help us to understand the most important thing is our faith that's expressing in love. Help us to grow, God. Teach us, mold us, train us. Help us to be like your son. Help us to do it your way, Father. God, we do love you. We are thankful. Thank you again for all these men and women that are here today. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.